Hey, today I'm starting a brand new series of messages called Our Ancient Symbols. And right here, I have a very cool poster which has like about 20 ancient Christian symbols on it. And uh, and we have one of these per family. We want you guys to take them on the way out. They're in that little big old bucket thing over there. And and so please grab one of those. We want you to have them today and and uh, and take these. So so who would like the first one, the, the awesome, most awesome one right there? Yeah, you can put it in your new house. Good job. Good job. Yeah, you just, just moved into your house. That's your first housewarming gift. And I don't even have to bring it to the house. It's kind of convenient there for me. But I'm starting this symbol, this message, a series of messages, four weeks called Our Ancient Symbols. Now, I was raised in a Christian home. So I've seen various Christian symbols uh, all of my life. But, but I came from a very conservative uh, Christian upbringing. And, and, and in my particular uh, uh, culture, I was, I was warned to be very careful about symbols and icons. The reason being is that there was concern that some people might worship the symbol or pray to the icon or believe that a supernatural power emanates from the emblem or the icon or something like that. And so, so really growing up, we were typically told to stay away from the symbols just in case we were tempted to use them incorrectly. So Christian symbols, they were really very seldom seen in our church or at home, and that was really kind of an extreme position. But there's also an opposite extreme, and and that is where some very well-meaning people do actually choose to pray to an object or or feel that a wooden cross or a crucifix, you can hold it up and and everyone's going to, you know, the uh, the bad guy's going to back off. Uh, We've seen that in those uh, Dracula movies and stuff like that. Or or a piece of jewelry holds uh, sacred powers, but that's simply not true either. So during this series of messages, one of my goals is to better acquaint you with many of our ancient Christian symbols and to challenge you to understand the why behind the what and to embrace these symbols as part of your faith journey. Because symbols have always been significant to our faith, and and they arose really during specific time periods and and typically in response to a cultural situation or or persecution from the government or persecution from other religions. And and our Christian symbols, each one of them that I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few weeks, they hold, uh, they they really hold huge, uh, huge stories. They speak to us today. In fact, our Christian faith was really forged in this fire of persecution and, and struggle, yet, yet against all odds, our faith grew and it flourishes and it continues to flourish today. It's continuing to expand. Back in the early centuries of Christianity, certain symbols were adopted by our faith, and they were, they were adopted to help point the way to Christ, to tell the gospel story, and to discreetly distinguish between the followers of Jesus and others. So during this series, you're going to look at four ancient symbols. One is going to be the Celtic cross, another is the descending dove, another is the heart, and today I'm talking about the Alpha and Omega Symbol. So I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation. That's at the very end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 1-8. I'm going to be sharing some other passages from Revelation, so keep it open all the way through the end of the message. Uh, the, the, the root of Christian symbolism, though, actually goes back to the time of the book of Exodus. See, Moses had delivered God's people from slavery, had taken them out, and, and, and had taken them through the Red Sea on dry ground. You guys have all seen the movies, so I don't need to get 
get into the details of what that looked like and how that all worked. But, but once they got into the wilderness, God knew this, that he needed to help his people rediscover their faith. So God spoke to Moses very clearly and explained to him to tell the people some various things to help them to reestablish faith in their hearts. So God gave them numerous commands. He gave them commands on how to relate to one another. He gave them commands on how to stay healthy, how to worship, how to rest, and a lot more. But in doing so, Moses, he was an educated man. He had been educated. He had the best education of that time as he was educated as a prince in Egypt. He knew that in order to get the people to really understand the message, he needed to use some other techniques. Uh, and, 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 and he needed to put God's ways into the people's memory somehow. Now, most of you are fairly smart, and many of you have heard about the seven styles of learning, and, and, and they're, they're important. They, they, this is something I've always studied and have always known, but there are the seven styles, which is visual, which is pictures and images and spatial understanding. There's uh, aural, which is auditory. And, and music. Uh, there's also verbal, which are written words and spoken words. There's physical, which is using hands and touch. And logical, which is using reasoning and systems. And there's social, which is group learning and group interaction. And there's solitary learning, which is self-study and working alone. Now, one of the things that we intentionally do, you know, you may not realize it, but we actually do something very intentional in planning our, our, uh, our Sundays here is that we, we have six of these in mind with whatever that we do. It, the one that we exclude is solitary learning because you get to do that the rest of the week. You're not alone here. But, but City Life does this. We, we do this simply to help all of us grasp things better. We all learn differently, but so that we can get it, so that we won't forget. Like visually, you've seen a video, slides on the screens, and graphics. You see graphics now. Uh, orally, you've heard music. Verbally, you've been able to listen to words. You've seen words on, on the screens. You've seen words in your Bible. Many of you will be listening uh, via a podcast to this Later, physically, we've stood to sing and clapped our hands and lifted our hands. Socially, we come together to learn together. Many of you will leave here today, and you're going to talk with each other about what you experienced here. Logically, I always come, I just, just really, really encourage you to think through what I'm saying and to process it on your own. And Moses' strategy was actually very, very similar. See, l- listen to what Moses told the people. He said this. He said this in Deuteronomy 6. He said, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. That means he wants him to get it inside. So he said, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you're walking along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Then he said, tie them as symbols. Say symbols. Symbols. All right, there it is. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And they would literally do that in that culture. Write them today. We don't. We don't definitely. We don't put the symbols on our foreheads, and but but we actually do. A lot of us wear symbols around our necks, or or wear symbols on our rings. So it's very similar today, though. But he said it's it's interesting. He said also write them on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. And the the bottom line command is right here. Be careful that you do not forget. So so the way to not forget is to do these things, including using symbols. Now, now God loves the arts. 
He is a creative God, and he put this creative spirit into each one of us, and we create art. Uh, some are better artists than others, and, and we're all different from one another with our artistic skills. But to some degree, the truth is we're all artists at heart. I, I was talking to my older brother on the phone yesterday uh, afternoon. He called me, and, and, uh, and he, he's about 10 years older than me. And he says, oh, well, Timmy, what'd you do today? And I was like, why do you still call me Timmy? That, that was like when I was eight years old. But, but what do you, what'd you do today? And, and my answer is like, well, this morning, I just, it's my kind of a normal Saturday. I got up and had three back-to-back meetings this morning. And I finished with the meetings about 11 o'clock. And then I went and spent some time alone in prayer. And I went to the gym. And then, I, then after that, I've just been working on my Sunday message ever since. And he interrupted me. And, and again, we were raised in a pastor's home. He said, what? You're preaching tomorrow and you're still not finished with your sermon? What kind of church do you have? And I said, no, no, let's listen to me. I, I, I said, I may do it a little different than dad used to do it, but I actually start, start preparing my sermons in reality, and those of you who work close with me, you know this, usually about six months prior to a sermon being uh, delivered. It's, it's kind of, I explained, it's kind of like creating art. And uh, and usually, I, I normally have about 10 to 15 sermons that I'm, that I'm really working on continuously and simultaneously. But when Saturdays come, I turn into a hermit about noon, and, and, and I become really focused upon the transitions and the illustrations and every little minute detail of the flow and the delivery of the message. Basically, I, said, I explained to him, I said, what I'm doing is I sand off the rough edges, and I put another coat of paint on it, and I observe the art from every angle, and, and it's because I want to have maximum effect, and the rest is up to God. But uh, I explained, I said, hey, I spend really about 30 hours a week, uh, if you were to average out the time, probably about 30 hours for each 30-minute message of preaching. That's about an hour a minute. So you see, I said, this is really art that I'm creating. It's not just some information that I want to get across. So, and, and, and the truth is, that's, that's how I create art. This is art, what I'm giving you today. You, you don't want me to do sculpture. You don't want me to restore furniture like Rebecca. You know, you don't want me doing sketches. They, they will look very bad. You don't want me writing poetry. And Jordan, you do not want me creating music. Now, and, and many of you, though, you have these artistic skills that, that are nothing like mine. But we all need to come together and find ways to use our artistic skills to get the message of Christ out there. In fact, this is interesting. One third of the Old Testament is poetry. Did you realize that? Uh, the, the Old Testament prophets and preachers, for the most part, were poetic artists. And God wants us to remember what he is communicating to us. Therefore, God has commanded us to creatively tell and artistically retell the truths of Scripture. So those of you who are passionate artists, you're really pumped up right now. You know? there, there are boundaries. I just want to explain to you there are boundaries. You know, uh, back in the first few months of our, of our church, a professional dance artist, he was here with us for a few months, and, and he's like, I just love the worship, and I, I, I want to do ballet all across the front during the worship. And I was like, no, that's going to be distracting. He goes, but it's my art. It's like, yeah, but it's not mine. Just, just, no, no, I don't think that's going to work out. And so there are boundaries. You know, one time we asked for people to bring, bring art for a particular event, and and someone brought a nude. And I said, no, you know, that's not going to work. We're going to have to put that away. I don't think that it really is what we're looking for. So, so, you know, there are boundaries that are there. But the truth is God loves to illustrate. I mean, just 
Look at the beautiful world that's out there. Feel the sun. You can't help but, but feel the sun right now. But look at the blue skies and, and feel the wind in your face as you ride on the trails. God uses these artistic elements. Uh, he, he uses these macro details, so to speak, to illustrate and to tell his story. Now, I ask you to open your Bibles to Revelation 1.8 because Jesus says something here that is using the Greek culture as a backdrop referring to the alphabet, and he's creating this word picture to tell a story. He says this. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who still is to come, the Almighty One. Now, in the Greek language, the original language of the, the New Testament, uh, Alpha was the first letter of the alphabet. That's why it's called the alphabet. And, and the, the last one was not Z, unfortunately, but it was Omega. That was the last letter. And Jesus calling himself the Alpha and Omega would basically be the same thing as, as if he were here in English saying it, I am the A to Z, and I am everything in between. And what I love, 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 love about this is that this illustration awakens several parts of our brain so that we can actually remember it well. And now, now the, the symbol of the Alpha Omega, I mean, it's cool, but, but the power is actually in what it means. It's a truth that can literally alter your entire approach to life. The truth is basically this, is that Jesus is eternal. He has always been present he is present now, and he always will be present. See, he's going to fulfill everything that's in the scriptures. He, he was at creation. He, he is the sustainer of the universe right now. And he, he's the one who's going to make all things new in the future after this world destroys itself. He, he's the same. He doesn't flex and change. He doesn't evolve. He, he encompasses all time and eternity. And yet at the same time, he's a deeply personal God. And this has crazy, amazing implications for how we live today in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, now, back in early Christian art, beginning around the fourth century, the Alpha and Omega symbols begin to be seen. And, and many of them, or most of them, are shown hanging actually from the arms of Jesus while nailed to the cross experiencing excruciating pain, which, which, which gave this message, which says no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how destructive your life might be, no matter how distant you might feel from God at the moment as Jesus felt on the cross, the truth is Jesus always was, he is right now, and he always will be in your future. Let me just simplify it. Here it is right here. Jesus was, is, and will be fully present. I, I, I love the concept of being fully present, um, especially in our society of overstimulation and this perceived need that we all have to multitask. And many of the meetings that I have, I'll ask everyone to be fully present. Some of you have been around my meetings for a while. You get sick of me saying that. But, 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 but to be fully present means this, is you're not going to be holding side conversations. We're not going to be sending text messages to your girlfriends. You're not going to be checking your Instagram and Facebook picture posts post of your kale salad with pinion nuts and freshly mowed organic Bermuda to see how many likes you got on your dish. Uh, those are distractions. Save it for later. Be 
fully present. Some of you are getting on Facebook right now. Oh my goodness, I'm busted. No, and in fact, the truth is, I have almost every notification on my phone turned off so I don't get pinged every 20 seconds because I realized that it was giving me these micro-adrenaline rushes and that's not healthy. I want to save my adrenaline for God, Rebecca, my family, and for emergencies. I, 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 took, I took Rebecca to, uh, to dinner the other night to sushi. It's one of our favorite things to do. And and there was this guy and girl that were sitting together at the sushi restaurant, both about 20 years old. And they were obviously on a date. And, but but they, they were sitting there spending the whole stinking time looking down at their phones. I, I mean, maybe they were texting each other or FaceTiming each other. I don't know. But but that was just weird. And I, I wanted to like, you know, part of me is I wanted to go over and say, guys, be fully present for each other or just forget it. You know, it's not worth the sushi. But of course, it was none of my business. So I dropped it. And I, I just I can't look at that. That's going to annoy me. But the, the truth is, the cool deal is, Jesus is fully present, and he always has been, and he always will be, and he sets even an example for us to be fully present. But what I love about it is Jesus is not distracted away from you by being concerned about what Putin is doing in Russia or by what Abbott is doing in in Austin or Betsy in Fort Worth or Obama in Washington. You have his full attention. He is fully present in the middle of your pain. And he's going to be fully present on the other side of your pain as well. It's interesting that the oldest of the Alpha Omega symbols are actually found in tombs. In the catacombs of Domitilla, uh, Rome, we find the Alpha and Omega symbol engraved on a tomb. And it reminds every one of us that Jesus was fully present in the pain of that moment for that family, and that he will be fully present in that person's resurrection. That's what it meant, and that's what it means. In other words, stick with Jesus, because your story's not over, and not even death is going to end your story. In fourth century art, we see these symbols even surrounding the halo of Jesus. And it's a reminder that the holy God is with you always. And every time you see the alpha and omega symbol, remember its meaning that Jesus was, he is, and he will be fully present. I'm telling you guys, that's a God that I can serve. He's not absent. He's not on vacation. He's not busy texting. He's not distracted by Facebook. He's not checking his email for the 200th time today. He is fully present for you in the middle of your loss, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your confusion, agony, uh, addiction, hurt, your anxiety. He's fully present in the middle of your tragedy, your loss, your disease, or your financial disaster. Jesus says this in John 16. He says, trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. Because in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, because I have conquered the world. And when you live in Christ, and your life is submitted to him, you can take heart because Jesus has conquered the world in the past, today, and in the future. And he is right there with you. Jesus was, is, and will be fully present. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And I know life is stressful. And the demands on us today can be emotionally exhausting, not to mention being physically and, and mentally exhausting, but a fully present God makes it doable 
because Jesus is fully present during my stress. Revelation 22, 12, I'd like for you to look at that because, you know, one of the best ways to overcome stress is to get your focus off the pending disaster at hand that you foresee might be happening right down the road for you and begin to get a long-term focus. And stress will ease away when you consider what the Alpha and Omega God, Jesus Christ, says to those who are stressed out. Revelation twenty-two twelve. he says this. He says, look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, for they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and to eat the fruit from the tree of life. I mean, guys, right there, that is a de-stressor. It helps you to know that your stress is temporary. Jesus is with you now, and he has crazy, amazing plans for your future. He's the Alpha and Omega. Jesus was, he is, and he will be fully present. And he's not freaked out because you're stressed out. The unchanging God of the universe is walking with you, taking you out of that stress and getting your eyes focused on eternity. And that is the real world. And it's true, I mean, life does has its, have its unfair share of suffering. I don't like suffering. I don't like pain. I don't like tears. About 10 years ago, uh, the ministry that I led was growing and developing, and we had acquired a piece of property uh, deep in the heart of the city, and, and, and we were designing it and outfitting it and remodeling it as a second campus, and in that, that was going to be a 24-7 prayer room. We're really excited about all that, but, but during that time, whenever we had the building projects, which it just always seemed like we had one going on, I, I, I was carrying too much stress, and I didn't realize it but, the, but it, but it hit me one day as I was getting ready to have a meeting over at that building about three hours prior. Pain hit me in my office. I didn't know what was happening at that time, but, but after going to the ER, I found out that I was actually passing a kidney stone, and it was the crazy, most, most, most painful thing I ever experienced. It was like a knife was being stabbed in my side over and over and over and over. I, I, could, I could hardly breathe. It was terrible. And at the ER, there, they had me like in a wheelchair, and, and, and I have my head on the desk, and they say, okay, sir, give me a rating on your, your pain on the scale of 1 to 10. I'm like, Ugh. okay, is it a 1 to 10? I, I can't talk. And the guy says, I'll take that as a 10. All right. And after a few minutes, I mean, they, they, they like shot morphine in me, and, and it was funny. And, and, and the doctor said, uh, understanding your pain level here, sir, this is not going to stop the pain, but you really need to calm down. And so then we were getting morphine to calm you down, and, and I did get a little more calm at that moment, and finally Rebecca was by my side when I got my morphine. So morphine, Rebecca, it made things a little bit better. But, but I'm, I'm just telling you, my friend, that is called suffering. But one thing I know, I knew it then and I know it now, is that Jesus is fully present during my suffering, as he is for you. Suffering's painful. I know it is. And some of you are suffering physically, emotionally, and relationally, and you're not suffering alone, though, because the Alpha and Omega is fully present during your suffering. In fact, there will be times of persecution. There will be times of suffering and strife that you will face as a believer, as long as you're on this earth. But in the middle of your suffering, you need to look at this scripture. I want you to look at Revelation 21.3. Revelation 21.3 is a prophecy 
It's a prophecy, and all prophecy is given to us to actually comfort us so that we'll have confidence that God has everything under control when we see things happen. And John writes these words during his, this vision that he's having of heaven, and these words will bring you comfort and will encourage you when you're suffering. This is going to happen. He said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them himself. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. All of these things are gone forever and the one sitting on the throne said look I am making everything new and he said to me write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true and he said it is finished I am the alpha and omega the beginning and the end to all who are thirsty I give freely the springs of water of life to all who are victorious they will inherit all of these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children yeah Jesus is fully present during your suffering and your fully present God also has a plan and that is to eliminate all suffering in your life forever and that will happen that's a God worth serving that is my alpha omega God Jesus was, he is, and he will be fully present. You're not alone. You will not be left hanging. We you close your eyes for a moment and focus internally? If you want to know this Jesus that I'm talking about, you would like to have a clean slate, you're ready to live your life with a renewed sense of purpose, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond if you want to be included in a closing prayer that will make Jesus the Lord of your life, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Because faith is where we respond outwardly to what's happening inwardly. One, God loves you so much. Two, he died for you so that you may have life. Three, everything happens today. If you like Jesus, would you lift your hand for me so I can pray this prayer with you? Lift your hand for me. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Will everyone please stand with me? You can put your hands down, but please stand with me. And if you raise your hand, I want you along with everyone in this entire congregation to pray these words with me. Come on, pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you are the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. I choose to put my faith in you alone. I acknowledge that you have always been fully present. You are fully present now and you will be fully present in my future. Thank you my Alpha and Omega.